0: Heavenly Father, you are perfect in all your ways, but we are far from that. We gather as a group of people with many, many needs, many questions, longings, hurts, and joys. We ask, Lord, that you would calm our anxious hearts today. You'd clear the clutter from our distracted minds. And Holy Spirit, speak into the depths of our hearts of your steadfast love. In your tenderness to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is something I have struggled with all my life, actually. Uh, As a teenager, I struggled with it. As a young adult, I struggled with it. Clearly, as a parent, I struggled with it. And uh, as a pastor, I have struggled with it. Just when I think my struggle is finally in the rearview mirror of the past, this very unwelcome companion of my soul visits me again. I find it often hitches a ride on some past fear that I am now encountering in the present. And My struggle affects my physical well-being. It affects my emotional well-being. It affects my spiritual well-being. It can lead to sleepless nights in my life. It hurts my relationships, and it hinders my work. I struggle with worry. And I don't believe I'm alone in this struggle. Mental health profession- professionals and friends of mine describe worry and anxiety is the common cold of our times. And of course, as thoughtful people, we know that there is irony embedded in that, isn't there? Because perhaps never like before in human history, Have people had more layers of security, more, at least in the Western world, more food security? And yet, we feel more insecure, often more anxious and more worried, and more stressed out than ever before. Seems to me worry is kind of like having a nail that has punctured your tires on your car. You know, sometimes it's a faster leak, sometimes it's a slower leak, but it begins to slow you down and weigh you down. It reduces the vitality and joy of your life and can bring you to a virtual halt. What I've discovered is worry knows no age limit, it doesn't discriminate. Worry doesn't seem to care about the level of your education or mine, your gender or mine, your ethnicity, my ethnicity, your income, my income. Isn't it amazing that worry finds us? Kids, I know you know what it feels to worry. I remember worrying when I was your age. Worrying about School, or perhaps there's a bully in your class, some obnoxious kid you can't stand. Or maybe you're worried about your family really getting along and you feel the stress in your home. And students, you know about worry. Wow, you may be feeling anxious coming in here today of a test you have this week. Maybe you are thinking about college getting into this college you've always wanted to as a trajectory for success or your desires, and you're trying to pack together an impressive resume, make good grades, and the ACT or SAT is looming before you. It's hard not to worry about that. Perhaps your classmates at school, and you're worried about them accepting you, particularly for who you are and what you believe if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're feeling anxious about your physical appearance or you hope you will fit in at school or whether you will have those true loyal friends to walk with you in times of heartache and pain. Parents, I know that worry visits your life as well. Doesn't it? It's easy to worry about those little kiddos or big kiddos. We worry about their health choices they are making, the friends they are keeping perhaps. I don't know how many parents I've had conversations with recently about the looming thought of the expense of college education for their children. We worry about that, don't we? Sometimes at night we toss and turn with all those what-ifs bombarding us Perhaps some of you are very worried after the start of this year with your financial portfolio. It's not ever been a very fun time in the market this first quarter. Seniors, worry is a part of your world, isn't it? You may be struggling with the worrisome fact of losing your spouse and being left behind or outliving your financial resources some of us during this political season maybe I'm the only one but I find myself worrying about the state of politics and state of our country maybe you are all caught up in worry about all that see when we stop to think about it there is just a whole lot to worry about and so it's not surprising that in perhaps the most brilliant sermon ever given on planet Earth, that Jesus, brilliant Jesus, addresses the human condition of worry. And Jesus is going to make a point, an important point this morning, that a life characterized it is truly the good life is a life not characterized by a worried-filled life. And Jesus is also going to make another point We must not miss this morning. And that is the worry that suffocates our hearts, distracts our minds, does all this toxic damage in life, actually points to a deeper problem. It is a very much human problem. It is a trust problem. See, up to this point in Jesus' sermon, if you've been in this series, you know the coherence and cohesiveness of Jesus' brilliant sermon. And he has already addressed several problems in our lives. If you remember and have been here, he's addressed our heart problem, hasn't he? He's addressed our audience problem. He's addressed our treasure problem. And yes, this morning, he addresses another problem. And that is this trust problem. And what he wants us to grasp is if we truly are going to live the good life, we not only need to have the right heart, the right audience, the right treasure, but to trust rightly. For only then can worry, suffocating grip upon our lives be released. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. It's the first book in the New Testament. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to the sixth chapter of the text we come to this morning in Jesus' sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we will begin in verse 25, and I encourage you to follow along in paper or electronic copy or listen carefully. And we're going to go to the end of the chapter, and Jesus tells us one main idea. The main idea in Jesus' rhetoric is this, worry doesn't make sense sense. Now, he will do this, and he will make his persuasive case by giving us two underlying questions that he will address. And this follows the literary structure and flow of the section of Holy Scripture we're in. First, he will raise the question, what does worry reveal? What does worry reveal? And then secondly, as he builds to the end, how do we worry less? So that is the structure and flow of his words. First, what does worry reveal? And you will notice three things that Jesus says worry reveals. First, we will see that worry reveals our faulty thinking. Faulty thinking. On the heels of that, Jesus will say worry reveals our feeble faith. And then he builds to this literary crescendo saying that worry reveals our foolish living. So if you're following along, the flow of his message is to address faulty thinking, feeble faith, and foolish living. First, you will notice right away, he addresses that worry reveals our faulty thinking. You will notice in the text from verses 25 through 34 that Jesus uses the rhetorical form of repetition of the same Greek word five times. It is translated in many English uh, versions as anxious or worry, but I actually like an old version better. It's an old version of the Bible, it was first written in 1611, it's called the King James Version. If you read old old stuff, you can't read it, I can't understand it either. But the King James Version in this text, I think, best translates it. And the King James Version uses this language, instead of anxiety, words, it says, take no thought. Take no thought. why is that such a good translation? Because I believe Jesus is saying that the central importance of our thinking is vital in understanding worry. How we think matters. You will also notice, as thoughtful readers of this text and all of Scripture, that this word has two distinct meanings. Think of it like this. The word that is the central word for Jesus' teaching in this section has a head side and a tail side. Follow me? The head side is a positive understanding of this word. It is used by the Apostle Paul, for example, of being genuinely concerned, is the translation, for someone's welfare. It's a concern for others that is proper concern. But Jesus is going to turn this coin on its head and show us the tail side. And that is an excessive concern that becomes toxic worry. Jesus is not minimizing the importance of proper concern for others, nor, hear me carefully, is he advocating a kind of irresponsible, carefree life. No, 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 no. Jesus is focusing focusing on a toxic kind of worry, an excessive concern for our well-being. What is underlying this? Here it is. Jesus is going to say that toxic worry morphs from a proper human concern to an improper human confidence. That is, a refusal to trust the sovereign creator who is ultimately in charge of our lives and the world. Now, Jesus will do this right away. He often has a bit of humor. His original listeners in the first century would have had a bit of chuckle. I am sure, sure as I can be, not being there, that Jesus had some smirky smiles when he said this. Because Jesus points out the that the basic necessities of human life, and he points out worrying about them in kind of a sense of this is ridiculous. Look with me at verse 25, because behind toxic worry lurks this kind of ridiculousness. And Jesus says, notice, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what will you put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, when we take and off our nice shoes, put on first century sandals, walk back in time, Jesus' listeners would have had an excessive concern for what they were going to eat. They did not have the economic food security many of us have. So they were worried deeply about where the next meal was coming from. And Jesus confronts their faulty thinking, and notice he encourages them to look at Creation. He says, look around. Look at how the Heavenly Father provides for creation. He says first, hey, look at the birds. <laughs> Not a lot of worrying there, guys. It's, there's no worrying. The Heavenly Father takes care of them. I had a, you know, I'm a, I'm a bird nut, um, and I love birds. I mean, I'm just like that. Sorry, Alfred Hitchcock, but I love birds. Um, <laughs> But I, t- I had to. It was just insatiable curiosity. I asked, I asked Siri, Siri, my you know my iPhone helper, how many birds are there on the globe? And uh, she hedged her bets. On she said, you know, a range, but upward to 400 billion they estimate. Now that's a lot of birds to watch over. And Jesus will say in another text, there's not one sparrow the heavenly father doesn't know about. 400 billion. Okay. So Jesus is saying, hey, look at the birds. Chill. Maybe he didn't say chill, but that's the idea. And he says, hey, look at the flowers. I mean, there's nothing hurting there. They they are adorned better than Solomon. Solomon, in the Jewish tradition, was the richest, best-dressed dude in the world. He says, Solomon can't compare to how the Heavenly Father closes them. And then in verse 27, he has his jab of humor, and (laughs) there must have been a chuckle. Because he says, verse 27 And which of you can add a single hour? Now, depending on your translation, I just say some some text will have another inch of your stature. And there are lots of complexities there. But simply to say, whether it's, you know, as a kid, I was short, I still am a little short, but I love those measurements. I always wanted to get another inch, right? And I tiptoed a little bit, right? But you can't really cheat on your height. You can't add just wishing to be taller. See, some of you tall people don't understand my trauma. (laughs) But whether it's an inch higher or another day in your life, what a ridiculous thing to do. That's the idea. And embedded in Jesus' brilliant rhetoric is this probing question. How are you seeing the world anyway? Hear this carefully. Jesus is saying the biggest problem of worry in your life and mine is not the difficult circumstances and challenges we face. Uh uh-uh. It is the distorted way we see the world. Not the difficult circumstances. It's a distortion in how we see the world. Now perhaps you're here this morning and you consider yourself, maybe you're questioning the Christian faith, you're not a Christian yet, or you're wondering about that. And maybe this Christian faith thing, as you hear Jesus' word, seems far-fetched to you. See, a big challenge maybe, then in confronting some of the deepest desires of your heart, some of the biggest problems of the world. You think perhaps maybe a naturalistic or atheistic way makes more sense. And I respect that. But let me say something about that, will you? When it comes, for example, just one thing, when it comes to the matter of worry and anxiety... Our worldview, your worldview, my worldview really matters in this matter. Think with me for a moment. If we live in a godless, indifferent world, formed over eons of time and chance, then we do have lots to worry about. Even an asteroid hitting this planet. We would be crazy not to worry more and worry a lot. Worry makes sense, if that's how we see the world. But Jesus, in his assertion that the truly good life is not found in a God-absent world, but a God-bathed world, that changes everything. Dallas Willard, the brilliant philosopher at USC, the late Dallas Willard, in just an extraordinary classic book called The Divine Conspiracy, Speaks of Jesus' brilliance on the human condition and insight. This is what he says, and I have it written here. I want you to listen carefully. I think we finally have to say that Jesus' enduring relevance is based on his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, and empower the individual human condition. He matters because of what he brought and what he still brings to ordinary human beings living their ordinary lives and coping daily with their surroundings. He promises wholeness for their lives. In sharing our weakness, he gives us strength and imparts through his companionship a life that has the quality of eternity. Dallas Willard is saying that Jesus helps us see the world like nobody else, as it truly is, and he helps us see who we are. Yes, this world is broken by sin and rebellion, but God still intimately cares for you and the world. It is a world where humans are the recipients of divine relationship, of the most careful attention, and of God's sovereign intervention in your life and in our world. It is a world that God will ultimately and eventually set fully and perfectly right. Jesus is saying, if I am right about the world, then worry makes no sense at all. We have little to worry about. One of the ironies and tragedies in my life and many of us that consider ourselves Christians is our life is often filled with worry. And that doesn't make sense if you're a Christian here this morning and you are, your life is filled with worry, think with me for a moment what you're saying to God. Basically, when I'm worried, I'm saying, God, you're really not aware of what's going on in my life or you don't really care or you don't have any ability to do anything about it. See, what worry says to God is, God, I can't trust you. Period. Worry reveals our faulty thinking, but it also reveals our feeble faith. Notice where Jesus progresses in this message. He takes the rhetorical form logically of arguing from lesser to greater, and he gets right to the heart of his persuasive logic in verse 30. Do you see it? He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Don't you love it that Jesus doesn't just say, I'll I'll take this to the bank. Oh, you have no faith? Praise God for that. He says, oh, you have little faith. You need more robust faith, he says. You need a ruthless trust. You need a tenacious trust. And how is that trust going to occur? Notice where he goes in verse 33. It is seeking an intimate relationship with God and his kingdom. And let's not forget, to seek first his kingdom is to seek first the king. An in intimate friendship and his righteousness. Jesus is saying the way you and I free ourselves from the shackles of toxic worry is to seek an intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. A Father who provides for you, whose loving arms provide the only true security there is. See, so we all look for security, don't we? But we look for it in the wrong places. Brennan Manning is a wonderful writer that I love to read. In a book I commend to you called The Ruthless Trust, Ruthless Trust, great name. He points to where our true security lies. Listen to his insight. He said If someone were to ask you, what is the one thing in life that is certain, what would you answer? And Brennan says, the love of Christ. Not parents, not family, not friends, not art or science or philosophy or any products of human wisdom, only the tender love of Christ. So what pillars of security are you propping your life up on? Lurking behind A great deal of our worry is a life built on insecure idols. Accumulation of wealth, positions of power, career success, approval of others, uncommitted relationships. And Jesus is inviting us, will we reach out to the Heavenly Father who unconditionally loves us? Will you cling to the only certainty that is the one who is truly secure? And will you and I address the endless causes of worry and rest in God's precious presence? Worry reveals faulty thinking and feeble faith, but notice where Jesus goes in the crescendo of his thought, and that is it reveals foolish living. Isn't it amazing in verse 34 how down to earth Jesus is? Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What hopeful realism. Jesus knew that much of our worry stems from our fear of what tomorrow may bring. And Jesus is focusing on something that is so crazy when you think about it something you can't control, you don't know. And Jesus basically says, So take each day as it comes. So he says, Jesus, the great physician, knew that worry was one of the most energy-draining, relational-eroding, counterproductive things humans can do. And, of course, contemporary research and social sciences reveal the same thing, what Jesus knew. Think about it. Worry has such a detrimental impact on our physical health, our work, our relationships. Think about your physical health. We know this from research. Worry and anxiety causes you to be unable to relax. Your heart can be pounding, right? You can have digestive system issues, GI issues. I mean, there are other factors. That can, but worry can cause all these physiological effects. It can hinder our ability to think, to be creative. Give it headaches. And there's just a whole list. But not only that, physically, think of how it affects our relationships. When I'm worried and anxious and my wife Liz could affirm this. I get more irritable. I don't need to be more irritable. <laughs> I dwell on the negative. Relationships, when there's worry and anxiety, we don't connect well with others. We become emotionally unavailable to others and distracted. Some things we How does in- worry and anxiety impact our work? Wow. Worry can make us less productive, less collaborative. Collaborative with others, we make more mistakes in our work, we're less fulfilled. I mean, you can go on and on. Worry is a bigger deal than we realize. And it affects every dimension of life. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? How do we worry less? Let me just say, as I want to move to some practical takeaways as we round the corner of the message. But let me just say this: worry and anxiety often have multifaceted origins, many causations, degrees of severity. I want you to know that. And debilitating anxiety often requires the wonderful gift of a highly competent, highly credentialed Christian professional in mental health. And I'd love for you to talk to me afterwards or one of our staff. We're here to help make those referrals in those very real issues that many of us can face. Let me suggest three takeaways for all of us this morning on this issue. First, instead of worrying more, pray more. Instead of worrying more, pray more. It's not incidental that Jesus follows this section on worry in Matthew chapter 7 about prayer to the Heavenly Father. It's connected. See, prayer is not just about asking things. It is, but it is cultivating intimacy with a person. And if you know how to worry, you know how to pray. Because worry is just talking to yourself. You might as well talk to God about it, right? I he mean, said, so I don't know how to pray. Well, you know how to worry? You can pray. So just change your focus. Take your eyes off your endless list and put them on Jesus. We replace worry with the awareness of Jesus' presence with us. The resurrected Jesus said he would never leave us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our constant comforter and guide. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, and if you're not, I encourage you to be one. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are never alone, ever. You are always in good, merciful, and loving hands. E.M. Bounds, one of the classic writers of the Christian faith on prayer in the 19th century, said this well, I'd love for you to write it down if you're taking notes. This is the most beautiful statement. He says, prayer puts God's work in his hands and keeps it there. I'm going to say it one more time. Prayer puts God's work in his hands and keeps it there. Yes. Apostle Paul knew that prayer and anxiety and worry were connected. And he says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything. Right? But in everything by prayer, with supplication that means request, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and notice, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I know of no better antidote to worry in my own life than seeking the Lord in prayer. Worry is also pushed back when we meditate on scripture. I'd encourage you to memorize Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And one thing during the Lent season that Liz and I are doing certain things that we do in Lent in terms of fasting or giving up, but there's something we're focusing on. We have it written on our little chalkboard and we're trying to remind each other every hour during the Lenten season to remind us of this truth. And this is the truth. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, is Lord. Jesus, whom God has raised from the dead, is Lord. And if that is true, then we are in great Instead of worrying more, let's pray more. Secondly, instead of speeding up, let's slow down. Isn't it amazing that a hurried spirit is often found in a worried life? We live in a very fast paced world, don't we? Nanosecond world, plugged in world. And many of us as individuals and families are overplugged, over scheduled, and over busy. I know you hear us talk a lot about this up here, but this is really killing us in multiple dimensions. And it's stoking worry and anxiety in our life. God created us not only to work, but to rest. That is to rest physically and emotionally. That is why God built into our weekly rhythm a Sabbath day, not in a legalistic must, but a delightful gift. A day of renewal and rest is a time for ruthless trust in God. That's why the Christian church decided one day a week Resurrection Day on Sunday morning was designed for corporate worship and rest. One of the greatest antidotes to worry and anxiety is to worship with God's people on Sunday morning on a regular basis. The psalmist reminds us to be still, right? Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. He wants us to remember this is our Father's world. He's in charge. Slow down. Relax. Relax you're in good hands, and those hands are nail-scarred. How are you building Sabbath rhythms in your life and your home? Parents, are you creating those spaces for slowing down as a family? Are you creating the margin to be physically and emotionally available to your kids and your teenagers? Are your children or teenagers, students, are able to process with you in a safe and nurturing way their joys? their fears, their anxieties, their worries, your home must be a safe place to live life transparently with hope and safety and love. You're pointing your family members to the Heavenly Father who cares for them. And one of the little simple verses you can wrap around your family, your heart and your life, or your marriage or your friendship is 1 Peter 5, 7. It's a simple little verse, but if you wrap it around your heart, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The spiritual discipline of Sabbath is about rest, but it is also about delight. God designed us to delight. And often worry and anxiety is minimized when we are attentive to the things we love and take time to enjoy them. A brilliant book by Leighton Ford's called The Attentive Life Listen to what he writes. He says, God knows what we truly love and he uses these loves to awaken our hearts, to get our attention. What do you really love? Art, poetry, the outdoors, music, getting in the dirt, (laughs) preparing a meal, bird watching, creating something with your hands. To lessen anxiety, identify how God reaches out to you and be fully present in your response. God wants you to delight in him, and his creation. Will you trust Jesus? Will you lean into the intimate relationship with him? Will you learn from him in the yoke of Christ? And will you experience the life increasingly you long to live and God has for you? It's the good life. It's a life not consumed by worry, but one with joy. It's not held hostage to the circumstances or fears or challenges in front of you. Instead of worrying more, let's pray more. Instead of speeding up, let's slow down. Lastly, instead of asking what if, let's focus on what now. Isn't it true? I mean, we are constantly asking what next rather than what today, Lord. Eugene Peterson paraphrases brilliantly verse 34. I have to read it to you. It so captures the importance of mindfulness in the present. It says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Jesus simply says, trust your Heavenly Father. He's in charge. Be mindful in the moment. Instead of obsessing about the future, let's remember God's faithfulness in the past and let's live fully today. You and I are in good hands. We can trust him. Will you give him your undivided attention and your unwavering trust? Brendan Manning says it again beautifully. He says, trust is our gift back to God. Think about that. What can you give someone who has everything? Our gift is to trust him. And And Manning says, and he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for love of it. Jesus was willing to go to the cross. He modeled this intimate, ruthless trust in the Heavenly Father. A life not gripped by worry, but found in the good news of the gospel. Jesus shed his innocent blood so that you and I, when we embrace him in repentance and faith, can experience an intimate life with him, one not dominated by worry or fear, but found with joy and peace. Apostle Paul writes these words to the church at Rome. It is the bottom line of bottom lines. Romans 8.32, let this wrap around your heart and soul as I conclude. He, God the Father, did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, if our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he would give up his only son for us, None of us have anything to worry about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you. You are so worthy to be trusted. But may we trust you. Draw us near to you. And fill our hearts with peace and joy.